0: So we're we're in a place. of places. We're just picking up where we left off in First Timothy, chapter three, and uh, just to remind you that First uh, Timothy, one of the last books Paul wrote, First uh, Timothy, then taught us in Second Timothy, um, and it's written to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, dealing with false teachers, and so at the heart of this book are false teachers. And as I said a few weeks ago, the third chapter really reveals who the, the problems were. They were the people who served as an overseer, a pastor, and then the deacons. And uh, ever since then, pastors and deacons have been blaming each other for the problems of the church ever since, and uh, and probably rightly so. So I'm going to, we're going to, we're already done the overseer part, I'm going to do the deacon part, and I'm going to say some things, I'm going to say some things that are, that are kind of tough, but that's okay, I don't mind doing that, because we need to realize that our obligation is the truth that God reveals to us in his word, and the New Testament is God revealing himself to us. Paul writing letters, he's revealing truth. And truth always trumps tradition. And as a Baptist for 61 years, uh, counting the time that my mom was pregnant, over 62 years, because I was a Baptist then too, and a Baptist preacher in some capacity for 42 years, our views about what a deacon is is based largely on our tradition and not on scripture. The two churches I came that I was at before here both had split before I got there. I always want to make that clear. I was not the one who caused the split. I was the one who came in to clean up the mess, and it was. And in both cases, there was a conflict that involved Pastor Deacons. <clears throat> in, in both cases, Long after the pastor had left, and, and, and the, the, the problems got worse. The split actually occurred after the, both cases after the pastor left, really. Now, in one of them, the pastor had only been there in Bridgeport just a couple of years. He was just not able to, the problems were way before him, and he was not able to handle that. Um, and, you know, the, the, the guys who were charged spiritually to lead the church to resolve this were the ones who were fighting and bickering and caused the problems. And when I got to La- uh, Bridgeport in particular, I did not realize how severe it was because they had not really up front with me about it, which makes sense because the pastor search committee had several deacons and deacons' wives. And the last thing they realized was they were the problem, and they weren't going to admit that to me anyways. I was there two days. Debbie was still in uh, San Antonio, and I called her on the second day there, and I said, I think we are in a real trouble because this ain't nothing. Like what we thought, we are not in Kansas, baby. I am the land of Oz. And all these are the evil witch of the West, or the East, or where they came from. And I spent five of my 10 years battling and fighting to get things right. And fundamentally, my view was simply this. There is a text that holds us accountable to what we are to be. And you will be that way or you will not be in a position that you think you should be in. And that's just how I look at it. And when I came here, y'all didn't really have trouble per se with your deacons. But, you, but what you had, and I was, I, when I got here, I was stunned. <laughs> you had 70 deacons. Who needs 70 deacons? There's not a pastor I know of under my mind. Who would want 70 deacons? They, some of them don't want any, you know. And... And what I realized quickly after a couple of meetings, and I'm just going to be blunt with you, over half of them were not qualified. They should have never have been a deacon. Should never have been a deacon. And so my, my task to, to, you know, to figure out what to do, and I made a very simple decision. I've never admitted this publicly. I've talked privately a couple of times. Bruce and I have talked about it, and I know Ken Nadcock and I have talked about it for sure, is I just basically wrote the whole group off as a group. And what I began to do then was to take the passage we're going to be in and I looked at the guys that I encountered and I began to realize who met those qualifications. And you may think, well, that's rather presumptuous of you. And I mean, yes, it is, but I had no choice because I wasn't going to, you know, get into a battle with 70 guys that half of whom weren't qualified. You had children. You had children who barely were in their 20s as deacons. You had guys who had been Christians but a couple of years who were deacons. Oh, but they're faithful. They show up. Wow, for crying out loud, what were you thinking? Now, I can honestly, and, and some of the guys were just older and they were beyond the, beyond the scope of can do anything. I mean, God bless them. I understand. But if, if you're the one having to be tended to, you can't do the tending to others. You just can't. So, you know, the show for a meeting, to vote on something doesn't work in my world. And so now, I would say probably in our tickets meetings on a regular basis, you know, we have them quarterly. I think we have like you know, I think it's about, I don't know, 10, Bob's <laughs> back there, 10, I mean, there's probably a few more, overall, you average it, but it's about 16 guys, and I would say all of them, including the guys I see here, you know, some are, are, are highly, middle qualifications, and to me, they function as a deacon, I have not ordained a single deacon since I've been here, you don't need to, I had 70, what I want more for, <laughs> and I haven't, and I've had guys who came from other churches who were deacons, and that's fine, that's good, we're good, we, we got it covered, one guy joined our church Becca Miranda, and first thing he told me is, I'm a deacon, I'm like, I don't care. I didn't say that. I thought that. And then a year later, he kept pestering me and other people about being a deacon. And I finally told someone, tell him he will never be a deacon because I don't want him to be a deacon because he's a pain in the rear end. (laughs) Having said all those loving things to the deacons here, I love you and I tolerate you. And you meet these qualifications, so here I go. I'm going to tell you. Now, here's, here's the key thing. Now, I was hard. Remember, you don't remember this, but when I was here last, I was hard on the overseer, me. I was hard on the me's. Since then, you would have forgotten all that because the me, you know, went through a lot of stuff, and you're not going to take that on me anymore. But I was hard on pastors. And so I'm going to be hard. So here's the thing you realize. There are only two places in all the New Testament that the word deacon is used in the context of an individual who holds a position. Only two. There are no more than two. Well, actually, there are three, but we're bad. With, and I'll tell you what the third is. We don't want to do it. It is Philippians, where Paul's in jail, says, you know, the, you know Timothy and the deacons greet you, whatever. You know, that's the only time. And then in here, in, here in, second, in 1 Timothy, it's the only place. The third place is in Romans chapter 16. When there is a woman named Phoebe who is called a deaconess, it is a technical usage. Paul is identifying her as someone who holds a position that requires service. But we're Baptists, and as we're going to see, we don't want women deacons, so we ignore that one. Even though, technically, she was either a female deacon or a female minister because it's used in a technical sense. And Paul saw her that way. All the women are like that, and it's good. But since we're Baptists, we just... Cut that part out and don't look at that. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, seven men are selected for service. And we tend to, to identify them, babes to as deacons. It's not, shouldn't we, that is not right. And I'll tell you why. Because the reason we do that is the word deacon as a noun is never used, but the verb diaconeo is used to serve. And we say, well, since they did that, they were deacons. And it has some qualifications and a not you know, it was like they need to be men of faith and full of the Holy Spirit in prayer. The problem is the verb, diakoneo, is used all the time. It is a really common churchy verb. In other words, when you're talking about what people do in the context of the Christian faith, the verb, diakoneo, which means to serve or minister. In fact, the word minister comes from that word. It is a huge error, I believe, to say those men were deacons. For one thing... That's immediately after the ascension of Christ. So you're talking about, you know, the year 3031, and then the word deacon is not used technically until the book of Philippians 30 years later. And in nowhere in the midst of any of the churches do you see any context of deacons. Nowhere does Paul, when he establishes churches, say anything about having deacons. He talks all the time about elders. Not about deacons. And we don't like elders as Baptists because Presbyterians have elders and we've decided we don't ever want to be Presbyterians because they baptize infants. And I understand that, but elders are mentioned all throughout Scripture. In fact, I'll have you know this, most new churches, most church plants now have elders. All the church plants that we deal with right now, they are all, and these are Southern Baptist churches, the ones we deal with, the new church plants have elders. And most of them don't yet have deacons, which I find fascinating. They haven't even asked me about that. So it's not my fault. I tell you all this because I want you to understand contextually what I'm talking about. So here's what we see in verse eight Deacons, likewise, just as he has talked about overseers and gave their qualifications. Now he's linking the deacon to the overseer. And this is what's important because. This is the appearance of the church. They had the overseer, the episcopos, the bishop, who was synonymous also with the presbyteros, the elder. Remember, I told you that the pastor, the overseer, and the elder were the same. And there were other people, maybe elder, but the overseers were all elders. He is linking the deacon to those guys, which indicates to some degree that they were to assist. The overseer in his work, the, the qualifications, and the descriptions are not the exact same. They're similar. But most scholars in the New Testament will tell you that the passage, and remember, Paul is dealing with the false teachers who were causing problems, which were the overseers and deacons. He is basically saying the responsibility of this group is to assist the overseer, my position, in carrying out his ministry. A well, few years back, before I ever came here, my, my resume was at a church in Texas. And uh, they were interested in me, and they sent me in their bylaws. And it said in their bylaws that once a year, the pastor would go before the deacon board, they were called a board, and give a state of the church address to inform the deacons of what was going. And I laughed and said, that'll never happen. We're through. <laughs> because from the Bible standpoint, I don't answer to them. They answer, oh, you're going to hate this to me. And we answer together to the church. We answer to the church. I've said this many times. Y'all. Hold me accountable. Now, you choose committees to do that. You choose a finance committee to hold me accountable for finances. You choose the trustees to hold me accountable for legal stuff. And you choose a personnel uh, committee to hold me accountable for my life and my practice and things that go on. You designate groups to hold me accountable. And that's fine because we're a congregational church. But we need to understand what Scripture teaches. Likewise, deacons, it says. And it lists... Four basic things about them. It says, first in verse 8, they must be men of dignity. And the word men, by the way, is not in the Greek. (laughs) You didn't realize that. Well, it says they have to be men. Yeah, I know. It just doesn't say that in the Greek. I don't know what to tell you. I don't make this stuff up. I got the Greek right next to it. I'm reading the Greek. Nope, doesn't say that. And what it says about them is men of dignity, but that's understood, actually. Not insincere, not prone to drink much wine, or, you know, as bad as any, but we don't do that anymore, nor greedy for money. So of the four characteristics, the first is this, they have to have control of themselves. Verse 8 says they need to be men who are self-controlled. And that self control Dignity, not two-faced. That's what insincere means. Don't be a drunk, because if you can't control your drinking, and, and as Babbists, we've traditionally not wanted uh, deacons to drink or not greedy for money. And I've known many pastors and deacons who don't make that qualification. I know many, and it's sad. Now, I prefer, I don't, um, I don't think the Bible teaches abstinence, but I think as a Babbist pastor, I have a responsibility, since I'm Babbist, not to drink. And I also tend to believe that deacons have that responsibility. I don't hold them accountable for that. It's just my personal belief. If they do, they do. Um, but one of the reasons that I haven't ordained any deacons in a long time here in my last church is I got tired of dealing with that subject matter. And so I just tend not to do it. <laughs> That's just me personally. But, you know, I'm the one who has to sign off on it. So I guess, you know, I, I struggle with that. I just think if you're going to be in the position of serving others, you've got to be accountable to how you live your life. And so many men, um, they have no dignity. They're greedy. I'm talking about pastors too. And they're not sincere. They're two-faced. You, you can't be a deacon. Well, you can, but you shouldn't. And in my book, I just ignore you. Because it is wrong according to Paul, not our tradition. Yet far too often I've seen churches. Look at a guy. Well, he comes to church. He grew up in the church. His daddy was a deacon. Oh, I inherited that in Bridgeport. Oh, Lordy, I inherited that. Just make him a deacon. I had a deacon in Bridgeport who got kicked out of high school basketball games for cussing the officials. Everyone in Bridgeport knew he had a hot temper. And they all knew he was a deacon at First Baptist Church until he left, because he got mad at me, because I brought drums into the church. And I said, praise you, God, for getting rid of that guy. <laughs> I did. <laughs> you had a guy here who was a deacon. I couldn't believe he a deacon, much less ever was, was chairman of the deacons. He got mad at me, and he left, and he was telling people he left, and someone came up to me. I think it was it's either Bruce or Ken Atcock and said he left because of you. And I looked at him and said in all sincerity, I said, well, you're welcome. Because I did what you should have done a long time ago. And that's the honest to goodness truth. It is inexcusable to have someone who does not have, and I'm saying, I understand people lose their temper. I got, it. I, understand, I understand that. But if your reputation is bad and you have them as a deacon, the second set, found in verse 9, is they have to have an orthodoxy. In other words, they have to hold to the mystery of the faith with the clear conscience. The mystery of the faith and it goes, is um, not something that is kept secret, but that is revealed. You've got to hold to the truth of the faith that is revealed. You have to do with the clear conscience. In other words, you, you, you've got to have a sense of understanding, not questioning. So there's the idea that they need to understand what the scriptures teach. And I would add this, they need to understand what Baptists believe. And we have some strange beliefs, I get it. You still need to understand who we are. So there's the idea then of understanding the truth. The expectation would be that they would teach it. I'm amazed at the number of men in my life who have been deacons who cannot and will not teach. And I'm like, whoa, why are you a deacon? How are you going to help people come to Jesus? Now, I know I'm going to be a little harsh. Remember, I was harsh on pastors too, so it's okay. Verse 10, the third thing says, they need to be tested and proven and oh, man. These men must also first be tested, then have them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Now, the word tested means to have lived life and have passed the test. I put it this way. I want to see scars on their body and their heart in their mind in their soul. And if they're still faithful to the Lord, well, then they should be served. And they have to be people who are beyond reproach. Not that we all sin, we all stumble. They need to be beyond reproach. So when you have someone who's 25 years old as a deacon, how in the world have they ever been tested? In my life, and the pastor's the same way. In my life, when we were 23, Debbie and I were told we couldn't have children. At age 27, we went through a three-year ordeal that, you know, to this day... You know, and and, and for Debbie, it was still hard that that through no fault of her own or myself that for three years was a constant, just a sense of almost daily, I won't say suffering, but it was a daily trial. trial. It was brutal. You know, we went through our daughter being a, a true prodigal. You know, we went through the things that she went through. At some point, there are scars and there's skins on the wall testing. And you have the confidence that I have come through it. And I look at the men who are deacons, and I know they have gone through many things, so I don't know it. They have gone through the scars, and they're still men of faith. And women do the same thing. Any leadership, that's what you look for. And they have to be be on reproach. So when I was in Bridgeport, I found out two of the deacons, one was on the committee that called me, and one's wife was on the committee that called me. had affairs, and it was known, and it happens, I get it, and they stayed deacons. They didn't say, I need to take a step back and fix my marriage, I need to step back up and healing. You know, this wasn't 20 years that passed, and they were now deacons. They had never stopped. And I'm like, no wonder you're screwed up as a church. You have people who are so miserably unqualified, it is a laughingstock. This this is what's happened in Ephesus. That's why they were struggling. And this happens to churches all throughout America that are struggling because they have forgotten what it means to be a deacon or a pastor. Same thing. Now I'm going to skip verse 11 about women. I'm going to come back to it. Then in verse 12, it reiterates some things about their home life. Same thing as the pastor. They must be husbands of one wife and good managers of their children in their own household. And it's like the pastors. Now, remember I said husband of one wife, and I'm not going to go over that again, but, but basically it means the Greek is just a one-woman man, and sometimes we take them mean they can't be divorced. It doesn't say that. There was a word for divorce they could have used. The best translation or understanding is simply this. They must be a man who are devoted to their wife. Now, sometimes we have deacons. I've had one of the best deacons I've ever had, uh, ever was in, in Laredo. was the man, and one who ordained him, brought him in. He, he had been married a long time ago, been divorced, and there was no infidelity, got divorced, got remarried. You know, in a lot of places, he could never be a deacon. This guy was a phenomenal, one of the most highly respected men in the community in our church. He just became a deacon, the best deacons we ever had. I don't believe that this passage eliminates you from being a... The, 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 does divorce automatically eliminate someone from being a deacon or a pastor? And the answer is no, it doesn't say that. By the same token, I've known men who were flirtatious, kind of womanizing, who were deacons. And you know, they, they kind of broke this because, you know, they did, not, they did not reserve their attention to just one woman. And that's really what it means. It means to be devoted to one woman, the woman you're married to and no one else. And to manage your children well and to guide them into the way they ought to live their life. Same thing with the pastor. And then it says, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith of Christ Jesus. When you do this, your character is exposed to be who you are. And what it means is this, you have served well. You have done the diaconeo well. You have the same word for serve, the verbal form of it. You have done that well. And because of that, The high standing isn't one of prestige, it is one of serving. And you have confidence in your faith. You have a great relationship with the Lord. And I know many deacons who absolutely blow this out of the water and are right there. Some of them are in this room. And their faith and their confidence in Jesus Christ is unbelievable. Now, I'm going to go back to verse 11. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious, gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. The word, uh, some versions have wives. The, the word for, I told you last week, the word for woman, the word wife in the Greek, there's no distinction, it's the same word. There is no two different words for that. So is he talking about the wives of deacons, or is he talking about women deacons? And there's a lot of arguments for, for both. And grammatically, uh, it makes some sense to say that these are women who are deacons. Because the women also, who serve as, in this capacity should have these characteristics. But there's also reason to think there are wives because it talks about being the husband of one wife, talks about the woman, and it goes back to talking about the man. Um, we should probably recognize that back in that day that a lot of the times that there were far more women in the church than men, kind of like today, by the fact, and that in ministering to widows, in ministering uh, in, in terms of baptizing, getting women for, ready for baptism, you would want women to do that. As I would understand this today in our world, and with the ambiguity that is there, this is how I look at it. I look at a man's wife who's a deacon and say, does she live up to the expectations? That would I call both, if we had women deacons, would I call the wife to be a deacon? And sometimes I would call the wife over calling the husband. You know, I'm saying, well, let's get her. We just have to drag him along, give him the title, you know. And uh, that's all everybody on this side of uh, the auditorium, Bob, you know, Doug, Bruce, you guys are covering that. But, you know, it's, it's I, I think it means something like that, this. The expectation is they're going to serve together. And she's just like my wife supported my ministry. Now, I'm the pastor. You know, she didn't do it. She didn't make decisions. I got You understand that the deacon 's wife has to be supportive she can 't be problematic and oh man, so in in Laredo, Debbie and I are cl- some of our closest friends, he was a deacon, you know, and um, he was actually serving on as a missionary in Laredo also in capacity. We were really close friends, but his wife got really mad at me over some decisions I made like that never happened before, <laughs> and so uh, or ever again. And so she wrote me a nasty letter accusing me of heresy, of lying, about everything wrong with the church. Was my fault, blah, 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 blah. It's ugly. And my friend, Roger, was chairman of the deacons. So I didn't believe in confronting a man's wife. I'd confront the man. And so I went to Roger and said, have you seen the letter your wife wrote me? Yeah, I know. That's not me. It's her. I said, okay, you're the chairman of the deacons. Your wife wrote this. What are you going to do about it? So I don't do anything. I said, okay, I just need to know that. Now that the other deacons know what happened. And then, I, you know, I was too young then to do what I would do today, which was drop, kick you through the goalpost of life so fast you would not know what happened. You'd be done and one and done. But basically, I just blew him off and cut him out of everything. He should have realized the partnership they had and the danger they posed and taken care of that. Together, they should have resolved that and come to me, but they didn't do it that way. What I'm saying is this passage indicates that the wife of someone who is a deacon basically has an important role. I'm going to tell you this. Men should never be alone with other women. If we want to make sure that our our deacons have good reputations, I don't want the deacon to go visit a woman, even a widow, even when he's 80 years old by himself. Take your wife with you, and the two of you go, and she is going to do far more than you're going to do, I mean, the deacon's wife does far more ministry oftentimes with with the women than the deacon does. And I don't want the dude to go to the house of the lady by himself ever. So I take this to understand in the context of being a Baptist in the world of which we live, that I'm calling two people. If they're married, if they're married, they don't have to be married, but if they're married, I'm calling two people. And if she does not meet these qualifications, well, I'm not calling him. Besides that, I don't want her causing trouble because it says that she must <laughs> be dignified like her husband, not a malicious gossip. I wish I just didn't put the word malicious. You're not a gossip, period. I've heard them say, well, I'm a gossip, but I'm not malicious about it, you know. Temperate and faithful in all things. And that pretty much covers everything with the man. Now, I'm not going to be able to go through 14 through 16 like I'd wanted, uh, but I'll do that next week. But here's, I want to take the pastor and the deacon together, the overseer and the deacon. The church at Ephesus was in trouble. And by all accounts, it appears that what all the problems, and Paul goes through the problems, he was laying the responsibility on these two groups of people. You guys, it's your job, and you're messing it up. Timothy, you go kick their fanny, and you get them straightened out. Now, I know you're timid, and I know you're not strong, but you have the authority of Christ. And by the way, you have me there, and, and, and I'm coming. Because he keeps telling the next verse, he says, I'm coming soon. He says, I'm coming. And when I come, if it's not straight, Paul says, I will straighten it out. You get that. Fixed, And you tell them knucklehead pastors and you tell those double knucklehead deacons to get their act together and act like Jesus wants them to act. And I will tell you this in 42 years of this, in knowing so many churches that have split, talking today with a close dear friend of mine whose husband was a pastor who left the church and the vicious things, I mean, great people, great couple after they left have been said to them, by a couple of the deacons. Most of Baptist church problems would be solved if the overseer got his act together and the deacons quit thinking they were in charge of the place and understood their job is to serve the church under the leadership of the pastor. And that would resolve most of the problems. And I'm that. I'll see you later.